Hi, this is the K. Ray Reads to You podcast, and I am K. Ray. Today I'm reading chapter three of The Talking Parcel by Gerald Durrell. Actually, I think I'll split chapter three into two parts as well, because it's pretty long. So this will be chapter three, part one. Moon Calves and Unicorns. When Penelope regained consciousness, she found herself lying on a sandbank with her head in Peter's lap. Simon was leaning over her anxiously, rubbing her hands, while Parrot paced up and down, muttering to himself. "'She's come too,' said Simon, with obvious relief. "'Are you all right, Penny?' asked Peter anxiously. "'Speak to us, dearest Penelope,' said Parrot, peering earnestly into her face, his blue eyes full of tears, his bright feathers bedraggled with river-water. They all looked so woebegone and worried that Penelope wanted to laugh, but she didn't dare. "'Of course I'm all right,' she said, sitting up. "'I just feel as though I've swallowed half the river and been dragged through the rapids backward.' "'A remarkably perspicacious description, if I may say so,' exclaimed Parrot. "'That's exactly what did happen to you.' "'Where are we?' said Penelope, looking around. "'Well, we were swept through the rapids after the boat sank,' said Peter. "'You were caught under the water amongst some rocks, and Simon and I had to dive for you, but we got you up at last, and managed to swim to the sandbank with you.' "'The sandbank,' one of several, was a long narrow one that stretched nearly the width of the river. On to it had been washed all their belongings, including the now useless dinghy. "'What on earth are we going to do now that we can't use the dinghy?' said Simon. "'Everything can be set to rights when we find some moon-calves,' said Parrot testily. "'What are moon-calves?' asked Penelope, attempting rather unsuccessfully. Mm attempting rather unsuccessfully to wring the water out of her clothes. "'I don't know,' said Peter. "'Parrot keeps on about them, as if they were the one thing we'd come here to find.' "'My dear Peter,' said Parrot severely, "'if I tell you that the moon-calves are among the most important of H. H.'s inventions, and that they are, without doubt, the most important animal, agriculturally and economically speaking, in mythologia, then perhaps you'll comprehend why it's important for us to find some.' "'No,' said Peter. "'You are a singularly simple-minded boy,' said Parrot sternly. "'I'm now going to leave you and go in search of a moon-calf herd. "'Kindly wait here for my return.' So saying, Parrot stalked into his waterlogged cage and opened his Louis Quinze... Louis... <laughs> I never know how to pronounce that. And opened his Louis Quinze cupboard. "'If you're going out like that all wet, you'll catch a chill,' said Dulcibel and it doesn't do you any good to be flying all over the countryside at your age. "'Oh, be quiet,' said Parrot crossly. "'You're supposed to be my singing spider and housekeeper, not a jailer. Where did you put my telescope?' "'It's where you left it, in the cupboard, and you shouldn't speak to me like that. Here I slave away all day, and what thanks do I get, eh? Tell me that. All you do is try to drown us all and create a lot of extra work. Look at the place. Drenched. Carpet ruined. I'll have to air the bed.' "'But do you care? Oh, no. All you think about is flying around the countryside with your telescope. You should know better at your age. You carry on as if you were a fledgling.' At last, from the strange collection of clothes and other things in his cupboard, Parrot managed to unearth a handsome brass-bound telescope, which he held carefully in his beak. "'Reconnaissance,' he explained to the children, somewhat indistinctly. 
"'Back shortly. I should have some breakfast if I were you.' So saying, he flew off, his wings flashing rainbow colours in the sunlight. Penelope decided that Parrot's suggestion of breakfast was a good one, for once they got on the move again there was no knowing when they would have a chance to eat. So she divided out a large bar of chocolate between herself and the boys, and gave them a handful of raisins and almonds each. They found they were remarkably hungry when they started to eat. Dulcibel declined the offer of chocolate raisins or nuts. "'You haven't, I suppose, got a grasshopper about you?' she asked wistfully. "'Or a couple of houseflies?' "'No, I'm sorry,' said Penelope. "'Oh, well, I didn't think you would,' said Dulcibel. "'Never mind.' Their hunger satisfied, the children spread out their belongings on the sand to dry. They had just finished when they heard a voice crying, "'Ahoy there! Ahoy!' and Parrot flew into view, and performed a very neat landing on the sandbank. "'Excellent news!' he panted, removing the telescope from his beak, and putting it under his wing. "'There's a herd of moon-calves about half a mile away. I missed them the first time. The silly things were all grazing under trees.' "'So,' said Peter, "'what do we do now?' "'Go and get some jelly,' said Parrot. "'Jelly?' asked Simon. "'Did you say jelly?' "'Yes,' said Parrot impatiently. "'You and Peter come with me, "'and Penelope can stay here with Dulcibel.' "'No,' said Penelope firmly. "'If you're going hunting for moon-calves or jelly or whatever it is, "'I want to come too.' "'Oh, all right,' said Parrot. "'Dulcibel can stay here.' "'No,' said Dulcibel. "'What if a crocodile should come?' "'There are no crocodiles here. "'You know that perfectly well,' said Parrot. "'Dulcibel thought about it for a moment. "'All right,' she said at last. "'I'll stay, but you're not to be more than three days, mind.' "'Come on, then,' said Parrot. "'You'll all have to wade over to the bank. "'There's a shallow bit, there. There's a shallow bit over there. "'Then I'll show you where the herd is.' So the children waded across from the sandbank, leaving Dulcibel as guardian of their things, and set off over the purple grass field, dotted with flowers, toward the distant cork forest. "'What are moon-calves?' asked Penelope of Parrot, who was perched on her shoulder. "'The most useful creatures,' said Parrot, "'but I must confess they are the result of an accident, rather than design.' You see, in the early days of Mythologia, H. H. was trying to invent a cow that would give a never-ending yield of milk, but he had to use the mythological moon-calf as a basis, so that it would fit in. It was just unfortunate that on that particular day he had lost his glasses, and in consequence he got three or four spells muddled up into one by mistake. It was all right, as it turned out. Poor H. H. was most distressed at the time. However, since then they've proved to be most successful. They made their way through the trees, toward where they could hear the clonking of a bell, and a gentle mooing noise, like the sound of an ordinary herd of cattle in a meadow. Then they came out into a clearing, and there was the moon-calf herd. "'A bit surprising at first glance, aren't they?' said Parrot proudly. "'Surprising? They're the weirdest things I've ever seen,' said Peter." "'They look like bits and pieces of all sorts of things,' said Penelope. "'Basically, the moon-calves were like giant dark green snails, "'with extremely pretty golden and green shells perched on their backs. 
but instead of having horns in front, like a snail, each had the fat head of a calf, with amber-coloured horns, and a great mop of curls lying between them. They had dark, liquid eyes, and they moved slowly over the purple grass, browsing just like cows, but sliding like snails. Occasionally one of them would lift up its head, and utter a long and soulful moo-moo. "'Are they dangerous?' asked Simon, watching them, fascinated. "'Lordy, no,' said Parrot. "'The kindest, stupidest things in the whole country, "'but, unlike most kind and stupid people, exceedingly useful.' "'But what do they supply?' asked Penelope. "'Milk,' said Parrot, "'and moon-calf jelly, "'probably one of the most useful substances known.' "'Where do you milk them from?' asked Peter, puzzled. "'The shell,' said Parrot, "'each shell's got three taps on it. Two are marked hot and cold. "'Just turn the tap, and there you are. "'Hot or cold milk, whichever you like.' "'And the third tap?' asked Simon. "'Cream,' said Parrot. "'Gosh!' said Peter, who was passionately devoted to cream. "'They are useful creatures.' "'And the jelly?' asked Penelope. "'Ah!' said Parrot. "'Well, "'You know how a snail leaves a slimy trail behind him? "'Well, moon-calves do it the same, except it's moon-calf jelly, "'and they only do it when asked.' "'Ugh,' said Penelope, "'what's the use of a lot of jelly?' "'It hardens into sheets,' said Parrot, "'and then becomes a most useful product. "'For one thing, it's cold when it's hot, "'and it's hot when it's cold.' "'What?' said Peter.' "'What I mean is, if you make it into a house or clothes or something like that,' said Parrot, "'it's hot in cold weather, and vice versa.' "'That's useful,' said Simon thoughtfully. "'You store it in sheets,' Parrot went on, "'and then just take out a sheet when you want it, and think it into something.' "'Think it into something?' said Penelope. "'What on earth do you mean?' "'I'll have to show you,' said Parrot. "'Here, let's go closer.' They walked up to the moon-calf herd. The strange animals lifted their heads and gazed at them in the friendliest fashion. The leader of the herd was larger than the others, and wore a large gold bell around its neck, marked, Leader. "'Good morning,' said Parrot. The leader gazed at them, and then let out a prolonged moo of greeting. "'Not very good conversationalists,' whispered Parrot into Penelope's ear. "'Very restricted vocabulary.' The leading moon-calf continued to gaze at them soulfully. "'Now, old girl,' said Parrot, "'we want a couple of sheets of jelly. "'Do you think you can provide them without too much strain?' The leader solemnly nodded her head. Then she turned to the herd, and uttered a prolonged, quavering moo. The herd immediately formed a circle, nose to tail, and the leader took up her position in the centre. Then the leader started to sing. She shook her head to and fro, so that her bell clanged discordantly, and cried, Moo! 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 As she did so, the whole herd started to slide around in a circle, and say very rapidly, and in chorus, Moo! 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 The resulting noise was loud and dismal in the extreme. As the herd slid around and around, every other moon-calf left a trail of what looked like jade-green liquid glue and the next moon-calf steam-rollered it into a thin, flat, transparent sheet. 
"'All right, all right, that's enough, that's enough!' Parrot shouted, to make himself heard above the chorus of moos. The moon-calves, looking somewhat surprised, came to a halt, and their mooing died away. Lying on the grass were some twenty sheets of what looked like very thin, brittle green glass. "'They never could count,' said Parrot, in exasperation. "'Still, never mind, it'll come in useful.' Picking up one of the sheets, Penelope found it was light as a cobweb, and easily bent. "'Why, it's a little like a sort of plastic,' she said. "'Better than plastic,' said Parrot, "'because as soon as you've finished with it, you just think it into oblivion, so there's none of it left around, mucking up the scenery.' "'What do you mean, think it into oblivion?' asked Peter. "'Well, we only want two sheets,' said Parrot, "'so I'll get rid of the rest. Watch.' The children watched, fascinated, as Parrot walked from sheet to sheet of the jelly, glared at it in intense concentration, and said, Disappear. Each sheet immediately rolled itself up into a tube, and then got smaller and smaller, until, with a noise like the bursting of a very tiny balloon, it disappeared. Incredible, said Simon. So you simply tell them what to do? asked Peter. Yes, said Parrot, mopping his brow with his wing. It requires a lot of concentration, though. Then, of course, you have to think them into anything you want, anything inanimate, that is. Watch. He went up to one of the two remaining sheets of moon-calf jelly and held out his wing. "'Give me two pieces of you, eighteen inches by sixteen, he said, and the sheet obligingly tore off two pieces of itself, exactly that size. Parrot flew onto Penelope's shoulder. Now, he said, stand still while I think them into something. What are you going to think them into? asked Simon. Buckets, said Parrot, glaring at the pieces of jelly. The children watched the jelly turn from pale green to dark green. Then it suddenly gave a wriggle, and it wriggled and writhed, twisted and jumped, curling itself into all sorts of contortions. Then it gave an extra complicated wriggle, there was a faint pop, and there were two beautiful small buckets standing in front of them. "'I say, that's wonderful,' said Peter, much impressed. "'No wonder you said it was so useful,' observed Simon. "'It's the most useful thing I've ever seen,' said Penelope, with conviction. Parrot proceeded to fill one bucket with cold milk and one with cream from the shell of one of the moon-calves. Then they thanked the herd, which said, "'Moo!' politely and in unison, and taking the sheets of jelly they made their way back to the river and their belongings. "'So there you are,' said Dulcibel, when they got back. "'Took your time, didn't you? I was just about to send out a search-party.' "'How could you send out a search-party, you exaggerating, egocentric spider?' asked Parrot. "'We've brought you some cream,' said Penelope hastily. "'Cream?' said Dulcibel. "'How nice! No green fly to go with it, I suppose.' "'I'm afraid not,' said Penelope gravely. "'Oh, well,' said Dulcibel, "'it's to be expected, I suppose.' Then Parrot, with much concentration, thought the jelly into a splendid new dinghy. Filling it full of their equipment and Parrot's cage, they launched it into the placid river. "'Yo-ho-ho, ho, and all that sort of rot,' said Parrot gaily. "'Not long now, and we'll come to the Unicorn Meadows. Then it's only a half-hour's climb to the Crystal Caves.' "'I'm longing to see the unicorns,' said Penelope, trailing her hands in the golden glittering waters, as Peter and Simon paddled them along at a good pace. 
"'Very decorative animals, I must admit,' said Parrot, judiciously. "'But very, very standoffish, if you know what I mean. "'Like to keep to themselves, whoops, like to keep themselves to themselves. "'Snobs. "'Always saying, "'Well, it's none of our business,' when of course it is, because, after all, everything's everyone's business in Mythologia. I mean, we've all got to believe in each other, otherwise we'll all vanish, won't we? Perhaps they're just timid, suggested Penelope. Timid? Not them, said Parrot. They'll take on anything. No, they're just lazy. When I went to see them about this cockatrice business, you know what they said? It made me mad, it did. They said, "'What business is it of ours? "'It's up to you and H.H. to control the unruly elements among us. "'Ha! I'll give them unruly elements.' "'The forest is ending,' said Peter. "'It looks as though we're coming to open country.' "'Just let me go and reconnoitre,' said Parrot. "'Taking his telescope, he flew off and was gone a few minutes. "'Then he returned to the dinghy, circled it with great skill, "'and landed on Penelope's shoulder. "'All clear,' he said. "'Couldn't see a thing.' "'Make for that little cove up ahead, and we'll land there.' "'They landed in the cove, deflated the dinghy, and packed it up. "'Then they set off over the rolling meadowland, "'dotted with great clumps of blue bushes "'covered in magenta-red flowers the size of sunflowers. "'About two miles away they could see a range of forested hills, "'and it was there that the crystal caves lay, according to Parrot. "'Although the sun had not risen any higher above the horizon, "'it had become much warmer,' and the boys found it was hot work lugging parrots home with all its furniture, plus their supplies and the dinghy. When they got to what Parrot said was the halfway mark, he told them they could have a rest. Gratefully they put down their loads, lay down in the shade of one of the big blue bushes, and had a much-needed drink of the moon-calf milk. "'I'll just walk up to the brow of the hill and make sure it's all clear ahead,' said Penelope. "'You all have a good rest.' "'Well, be careful,' said Peter. "'Oh, it's open country around here. "'I don't think she'd come to any harm,' said Parrot, "'dozing on top of his cage. "'Well, I shan't go far anyway,' said Penelope. "'Let us know what you see,' said Simon lazily, half asleep. "'And if you see any cockatrices, don't forget to run.' "'Don't worry, I won't,' said Penelope. She walked slowly up the slope, enjoying the balmy air, "'the beautifully coloured sky, and the soft springy grass underfoot.' When she reached the top of the hill, she looked down into the next valley, and admired the colour scheme of mauve grass, blue bushes, and magenta flowers. She suddenly saw a small animal rush out of one clump of bushes, and bound into the next, but it happened so quickly that she couldn't tell what sort of animal it was. She concealed herself in one of the blue bushes, and sat there quietly, waiting for it to reappear. Presently it did so, and Penelope caught her breath in surprise and delight, for it was a pale, lavender-coloured baby unicorn, with huge dark blue eyes. Its mane and tail were like spun gold, and its tiny horn was like a twisted stick of transparent golden barley sugar. The unicorn stood, every muscle taut, its ears pricked forward, its nostrils wide, looking back the way it had come. Then Penelope's blood ran cold, for over the brow of the hill, strutting like an enormous coloured cockerel, came a cockatrice. It paused and looked about it, its cruel greeny-gold eyes glittering, its scales gleaming green and gold and red in the sun. 
As it moved its head, Penelope could hear its scales rustling and clattering together, and she could see the wisps of blue smoke trailing from its nostrils, and the tiny flicker of orange flames springing up and dying down as it breathed. The unicorn must have seen it, too, for it turned around and bounded along the valley, dodging in and out of the blue bushes until it stopped, panting, not far from where Penelope sat concealed. She could see its nostrils widening and its ribs heaving as its breath rasped in and out. The cockatrice, having surveyed the valley, twitched the end of its forked tail to and fro, like a cat. Then it bent its great cockerel's head forward and started sniffing the ground, uttering a low snarling noise to itself, one of the most horrible sounds Penelope had ever heard. The unicorn, hearing this and clearly too exhausted to run any farther, crouched down and laid back its ears, its eyes wide with terror. Suddenly the cockatrice seemed to pick up the scent, for it uttered a pleased, blood-curdling crow, and started down into the valley. Penelope wanted desperately to help the baby unicorn, and yet she knew it would be dangerous to attract the attention of the cockatrice. But as she sat there she noticed that the cockatrice seemed very bad at tracking by scent, for several times it lost the trail altogether, and wandered around in circles, clucking to itself. Penelope began to work out a plan. If the baby unicorn's track was broken, the cockatrice might well lose it altogether. The only way to do that was to substitute her scent for the unicorn's. She knew her plan was horribly risky, and that if it failed, both she and the unicorn might be burnt to death by the infuriated cockatrice. But she knew that if she thought about it for too long, her courage might fail her, so she got to her feet and ran down into the valley, zigzagging through the bushes to where the unicorn lay, and she gathered it up into her arms. The unicorn gave a tiny whinny of terror, and started to kick and butt her with its horn. "'Stop struggling, you silly thing!' hissed Penelope. "'Stop struggling! I'm a friend! I'm trying to help you!' At the word friend, the unicorn stopped struggling, and lay in her arms, looking up into her face with its big terrified eyes, as dark blue as pansies. "'Friend?' it asked in a soft voice. "'Friend?' "'Yes,' whispered Penelope. "'Now lie quiet, and I'll try to save you.'" We'll stop there for now, so that's the end of Chapter 3, Part 1, and I'll see you next time for Chapter 3, Part 2.